will be actually continuing. So whatever I was supposed to teach in the high school, in the junior high, I will be teaching here in obedience to the Lord. So we're not maneuvering anything uh, or manipulating anything. We're following with what he has to teach us. I'm excited um, and I'm concerned as well. Uh, But before we do, if you guys want to open up to John chapter 14, that's where we're going to be focusing on specifically chapter 1, but we're going to try to read as much as we can. Uh, But before we get started, we have a couple of prayer requests. So if you would please keep uh, these two in mind. We have Miranda here. She had a, uh, she's severely injured. She had a, a very serious fall. And we want to lift her up for a quick recovery, for a quick healing. Um, and also uh, that, she would, uh, that she would seek to see what the Lord has to teach her through this. Also for Brother Ken, um, he has open heart surgery. Um, so please keep him in prayer. And also that, the Lord, that he would see what the Lord wants him to learn from this as well. So join me in prayer. Father, thank you so much again for who you are, for what you stand for. I pray, uh, we pray for these two people, Lord, that you have heavy in, uh, in your people's hearts. I pray for Miranda. I pray that whatever happened to her, Lord, that, um, that she's thinking of you this very moment, that you're ministering to her, and that she would be receptive to those things that you are ministering, ministering to her about. I pray for a speedy recovery physically, Lord, and um, I just pray that you be with her and her family and friends, whoever it is that it, that's concerned, Lord, that's somebody's baby and someone's child. So I pray that you'd be with, with, uh, with them as well. I, I pray that you be with, uh, with Brother Ken. Uh, he's, he's awesome. He's always uh, seeking to pray for other people. And Father, I just pray that, uh, that you'd guide the doctors, that you would be the hands Lord, that um, if there's anyone that's concerned, um, that, you know, his family members, uh, just pray that you be with them, Lord, and comfort them through this. I pray that you be with them and with anyone here who has any concerns, any struggles, uh, any anxiety, worry, depression, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you'd be with everybody here. In your most holy name we pray. Amen. So the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am. There you may also be. And where I go, you know. And the way you know. Thomas said to him, to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you're going. And how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John wrote this book around 90 to 100 years A.D., it was the last gospel to be written, and this, go- this gospel is different from what we call the synoptic gospels. Sin being similar, optic, you see. So the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they see eye to eye. That's where the word synoptic comes from. 
But the Gospel of John is different. There's a specific purpose in which this Gospel was written in. The Gospel focuses on who Jesus is. John wrote this so that we may know who Jesus is. With that said, it's, the, it's why it's the best reason, or the best book, I'm sorry, for a new believer to read this book first, to get to know who Jesus is. He wrote it in response to heresies that were being taught in Ephesus at the time, the location being in Ephesus. He wrote this in Ephesus. People were teaching different things about who Jesus was. There are a lot of people who believe in God and his existence. But here in verse 1 where it says, you believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus is not referring to a belief in terms of an existence, knowing that something or someone exists. It's not speaking about that. In the United States, 80% of people believe in God. 80% of the people believe, 80% of the people in the United States believe that there is a higher power. It's, it's a shocking statistic to me personally because I come from a background where I, for the majority of my adult life, uh, or I guess you could say that um, so far, I'm giving away my age here. I'm getting old uh, pretty fast. But um, I was an agnostic, uh, so I didn't believe that there was absolutely evidence that there is uh, God, existence for God. So... When I read this statistic, it was, it was kind of shocking. And I say kind of because I want to say three years ago, I, um, with a group of uh, friends, Christians, um, believers, we went around uh, up and down Citrus, downtown Covina, and we did uh, ask people if they believed in God, and if they did, if they believed that the Bible was the Word of God. Um, so that's where it separates. So we do have 80% of the people in the United States who believe in God's existence, Um, 56% believe in God as described in the Bible. 23% believe in some other form of uh, spiritual force. And only less than 20% of people actually don't believe that there is uh, evidence for a God. So a lot of people believe in the existence of God. A lot of people believe that there was a man named Jesus who lived, but they don't know who he is. Maybe that's you today. Maybe we don't know who Jesus is. But specifically what, what John was trying to make uh, as far as his point here and what Jesus was referring to with, with the word belief was a trust. It was, a, a, it was faith. So when we hear the word believe here, we have to see it in its proper definition, in its proper context, and that, mean, that meaning trust and faith. So we do have to see ourselves in that light. Do we put our trust and faith in God? And just as John was concerned for the people in Ephesus and the church and the ministry which God gave him uh, to to oversee, just as he, he saw the people and the concerns and he addressed those concerns by writing this gospel, of course, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, but, or the guidance of the, uh, the Holy Spirit, um, there, is, there are concerns that we should be aware of today. And these concerns, which I'm going to share with you um, momentarily, are very personal to me because uh, being uh, the high school and junior high minister, 
some of these statistics are very, very concerning, but um, it needs to be discussed and it needs to be talked about. So I'm glad that we're here discussing these things um, and uh, keep that in mind that these things, we should be observant to, to what's going on in our community, in our environment, and the state of uh, the health of our fellow people. You know, God cares about people. He cares. He's Jesus was in the business of saving lives, and he has held us to that regard as well as being believers. And if you're not a believer, Jesus does care about you, and he does um, want to reach out to you tonight. So with the belief here, we've already defined it. It's to have a faith in. It's to trust, not simply a belief in existence. Let's look at verse 1 again. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. You trust in God. Trust also in me. Have faith also in me. The disciples were scared and they were worried about the future. Jesus had told them that he was going to die in 24 hours. And here you have the disciples concerned and worried about Jesus. And it says here, let not your heart be troubled. We see that there is an issue. The issue is dealing with the heart, the soul, the mind, the state of being, life, who you are, what makes you you. These guys were troubled in their hearts, and Jesus saw that. They were scared. They were anxious. They were sad. They were depressed. And here you have Jesus, who's going to die in 24 hours, comforting people, right? So it shows us something. We should look at this. Jesus was worried about what they were feeling. But here is here's the treatment. Here's the cure. It's belief. It's trust in God. So he says, let not your heart be troubled. There's the diagnosis. They had troubled hearts. And here is the cure. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Trust also in me. Faith is a cure for the heart, for this heart that's troubled, for these hearts that were troubled. Trust is a cure. Believe, belief and worry are opposites. Trust and worry are incompatible. You can't trust and worry and you can't worry with trust. With that being said, the issue that I want to address with you guys needs to be that needs to be discussed is that there's a there is a crisis, an epidemic when it comes to mental health, and this has to do with anxiety, depression, and suicide. It's something that you see it's more common. There have been uh, high schoolers who have committed suicide at their schools during school and this is we need to talk about this as a church we need to talk about this as people who believe in god and if you don't believe in god right now if you don't trust in god this that's the cure that's the the cure for your anxiety for your depression and for your your suicidal thoughts people with anxiety uh disorders are three to five times more likely to go to the doctor and six times more likely to be hospitalized for psychiatric disorders than those who do not suffer from anxiety disorders. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illnesses. It is the most common mental illness in the United States, affecting 40 million adults in the United States, age 18 and older. It's about 20% of the population. 40 million adults. That's the ones that are being recorded and diagnosed with anxiety. This is an issue. 
Anxiety disorders develop from a complex set of risk factors, including genetics, brain chemistry, personality, and life events. This is according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. Anxiety co-occurrences are bipolar disorder, eating disorders, headaches, irritable uh, bowel syndrome, irritable, sorry, sleep disorders, substance abuse, adult ADHD, BDD, body dysphoric disorder, chronic pain, fibromyalgia, stress, and stress-induced immune deficiencies are on the rise as well. Children and anxiety. Children also struggle with anxiety. This is crazy. Anxiety disorders affect 25% of children between 13 and 18 years old. 25%. That's a quarter. So if you have four children in this room who are between the ages of 13, ages of 13 and 8 and 18, one of them is diagnosed with anxiety. This is an issue. This is very concerning. This is very personal to me because I see junior high and high schoolers every Wednesday, every Sunday morning. I have two kids. This is very concerning. I have heard of toddlers being diagnosed with having anxiety and having panic attacks. This is this is crazy. Suicide reported by the CDC from 1999 through 2017, the age-adjusted suicide rate increased 33%. Now, I am a store manager in a retail uh, for in a retail business, and 30, 33% increase is huge. It's huge. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that sales uh, managers want to see, right? So when I see 33% increase from, let's just say, the year 2000 to the year 2017, in 17 years, that is ridiculous. There is an issue here. It needs to be talked about. It needs to be discussed. Jesus had a cure for the, the issue that was at, at stake here. And, and the issue here had to do with the heart. From 1999 through 2017, suicide rates increased both for both males and females with greater annual percentage increases occurring after 2006 from the CDC. I don't have stats to prove what I'm about to say, but it goes without saying. I believe. This is my personal belief now, going away from the statistics. Facebook started in 2004. Instagram started in 2010. Snapchat in 2011. I'm going to repeat the quote from the CDC. From 1999 through 2017, suicide rates increased for both males and females with greater annual percentage increases occurring after 2006. So the biggest difference uh, having been coming after the year 2006. I see a correlation. I see it. I see it with my kids. They get anxious if they don't have something to do. My, My youngest son tells me, I have nothing to do. And I try to tell him, I go, you know what? Being bored is a great thing. Being bored is an awesome thing because you you get to think. You get to ask questions. The disciples here were asking questions. There was three questions. Peter, in verse 38 of uh, chapter 13, he says, will you lay down? Or sorry, he says, Peter asked this, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Peter was concerned because he... He was having a separation anxiety, so to speak. 
He was concerned because Jesus was leaving. Jesus told him he was leaving. And he was scared. He was scared that Jesus was leaving. That's one question, right? He was asking questions. The second question we see Thomas in verse 5, chapter 14. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how we can know the way. How can we know the way? Here we see that Thomas is concerned. What's his concern? What's his question? Where are you going? How are we going to get to where you're going? You tell me that I'm going to go, but where? How do I go there? Philip asked the third question, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. It's not really a question, but it is. There's no question mark, but it's still a question. The question is, show us the Father. I don't know who the Father is. Show me who the Father is. Please, teach me. Of course, we're going to read what Jesus' answer is, but these are questions, so we, we need to ask questions. We need, to, we need to have that time where we're not doing anything and talk to God. Not just have rituals, prayers. You know, I say grace before um, I give thanks to the Lord before I eat. But it, so I, I get convicted. Am I just doing it? Am I telling my kids to do it just to do it? Am I really giving thanks to the Lord for the food, for my job, for providing, for the money that you've given us so that we could buy the food? Or for my wife when she cooks? Thank you for putting it in heart to cook because the food is amazing. Are we really thanking the Lord? Do we really have that in our hearts? Are we just doing these things? Are we coming to church religiously? Or do we talk? Do we have time to stop and think? We weren't designed to live like this. Los Angeles, the city of Los Angeles, has 30 million people. 30 million people. It's a lot of people. We weren't, God didn't design for us to live like this. If you read the Bible, the first, um, Cain built the first city. You see it in Genesis. He left after he murdered his brother. He left and he built the first city. The first city was built by man, not by God. God didn't say, Adam, go and build a city. He said, be fruitful and multiply. He said, sweat. You're going to sweat for your food. In chapter 3 of Genesis, the consequences of the fall, right? Now you're going to have to work for your food. And we do have to work for our food. We do have to work to make a living to sustain us here, to take care of our bodies. But we take it a step further. When we live in these big cities, we deal with competition. We deal with, with work, stress at work, and stress Everywhere, there's so much stress. Everyone is always stressed out. And that's why we have a lot of sicknesses. Cancer, autoimmune deficiencies. We see lack of sleep, diabetes. A lot of these things, it correlates with our mental health, of course. And what does God say about anxiety? He has a lot to say about anxiety. Philippians Chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. Paul writes this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't be anxious for anything. Just talk to God. Take it easy. Prayer, that's what prayer is. It's talking to God. You can talk to God 
driving. You can talk to God when you're stuck in traffic because we all know everyone is stuck in traffic nowadays. Make your request be made known to God. It's a relationship. Lord, this is how I'm feeling. And peace and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Meditate on these things, right? It says here, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, is there any virtue? If there's any virtue in it, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. These things do, and the and the God of peace will be with you. But do you trust, do you believe that that's the cure? Right? Do I believe that that's the cure? Do you really believe? Do you believe in God's existence? 80%. So the statistics say that, yeah, probably everyone in this room, most likely, we believe in God's existence, right? It goes without saying. But do we trust God, though? Are we trusting in God? Why do we have this increase in, in stress and anxiety and depression and the result is suicide or, uh, you know, biological problems, with health problems? Why is there such an increase? Because we're so busy. We're doing things. There's always something going on. I mean, I, I, I stop and I think, too, I'm always busy. Maybe you don't get stressed out. Maybe you're not depressed. But maybe someone you know is. How do you minister to them? Toughen up. Shake it off. The cure is, is not tough love. The cure is trusting. Believing not in the existence of God, but trusting in God. If we really did have a relationship with God, here is... This is what happens. This is what the word says. This is what God says. He says, if you do that, then the God, the peace of God, it will be in you. The God of peace will be with you. In you and with you. If I'm trusting in God, there, there isn't going to be worry. But if I'm worrying, then I'm not trusting in God. I'm not trusting him. I'm worrying about things just like the disciples. They were worried about where Jesus was going. They were worried about not knowing the way. They were worried about not being able to see him again. Separation. They were worried about all these things because they didn't trust. Jesus had already told them, and he continued to tell them. He says here, And if I, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. The mansions that are being spoken of here are not mansions that we think of. The word, uh, the Greek word here that we see in mansions, actually it comes from a French word, and it means a dwelling place, a place made for you. So he says here, in my Father's house are many places for you, and if it were not so, I would have told you. Do we, do we really trust and believe the words that Jesus has spoken to you, to us, through this message, through this word? Do you really believe that there's a place for you that Jesus made for you? Do you believe that? 
You hear about it, but do you worry about things? Jesus didn't say, thou shall buy a house. Jesus didn't say, thou shall have a career that gives you six figures. Jesus didn't say that. The banks are not interested in helping you buy a house. They're interested in getting, gaining interest from you. They're in the business of making money. Right? But you see all this pressure. There's so many people living in a dense area. And there's so much pressure. Buy a house. Get a better job. Eat this food. Look it, I'm showing you. Aren't you following me on social media? Oh, you didn't eat this? Or look, I'm on vacation. How come we can't go to vacation like that? There's so much competition. There's so much stress, so much pressure. And it, and it does create more stress. Go to college. Finish your degree. There's so much pressure. How can you do all those things? How can you really... And then there's... In the movies and songs and... I guess you can call it in, in culture, in society. We, we, uh, I, I remember being raised with this notion of you could do anything. You could be anything you want if you put your mind to it, right? We tell our kids that. In a, in a nice way, not in a malicious way. You could, put, you could be anything you put your mind to. But what if they put their mind to something and you don't? How many presidents of the United States are there? <laughs> right? To be telling a kid their whole life, you could be the president of the United States. You're setting up very, very high expectations. And then what happens? They start freaking out. They can't live up to the level of their parents, that the, parent, the standards that the parents have set or that people have set. There, we live in a, a day and age where feelings are the most important thing. Feelings. Don't offend these group of people. Don't offend this group of people. Don't offend. Um, make sure that everyone gets paid the same. No matter what you're doing. But that's not. It leads to so many different problems. We try to comfort people by their feelings. If someone's throwing a panic attack or has a panic attack or a tantrum, we try to please them. We try to give them things. But what they really need is to, to know who Jesus is. They, 80% of the people in the United States believe in the existence of God. Well, do you know who that God is? You know, we have, uh, we have so many different types of, of gods, right? Think of sports. I like to use sports as analogies for a lot of things. We worship teams. We're fanatics. We go crazy. You know, I hope I don't see any Clippers jerseys anytime soon. But it's true. I'm guilty of that. You know, I let the people around me know what my struggles are. I let the high schoolers know and the junior hires pray for me. I'm reading too much up on sports and what's going on with the Lakers. <laughs> and it seems funny, but it's not because it consumes me. Instead of thinking and meditating on things that are noble and good, I'm worried. I'm stressing out about a team that I'm not even employed by. I make no profit whatsoever. So we're fanatics. We're fans. 
there's something inside of us where I where idolaters. We love to idolize people and things. I mean, I remember in middle school, all the girls in class would have their folders with all the they'd have, their folders would be covered with all these different pictures of all these different boys, right? Idolizing different actors, famous people. And I remember middle school with the boys, the guys, different sports teams all the time, Dodger hats, Dodger jerseys, or whatever it may be, different, different teams that you're just gung-ho about, right? You're all in for your team. You know everything about the team and the transactions, or you know everything about that music group. So many songs talk about heaven and God. Like, oh, they're Christian. They're talking about country music, right? They talk about God and heaven. Man, some of the songs that I listen to, I'm like, wait, what did he say? If something, I heard a country song, uh, it said something along the lines of, if you're not in heaven, then I don't want anything to do with heaven. Something along the lines of that. But they made it sound really nice and catchy, right? Like, all the time. Almost 80% of the country songs talk about God. But it's a different God because if you listen to it, it's completely different. But it gives people a false idea of who God is. And when John wrote the Gospel of John, he was concerned. And we should be concerned. If you know who Jesus really is, if you have a real living relationship with the living God who created everything, who designed our DNA as complex as it is, very smart God, of course, right? If we have a relationship with the living God, trusting relationship, we should be offended when someone talks differently about him, just like John was. John was very offended. Jesus was not a popular person. If you believe in God, the biblical God, if you believe the things that Jesus said that he's saying here, it's a different kind of peace than maybe what we think. It's a different kind of comfort. I know the, the peace and comfort that gives my kids is to give them a, the Nintendo Switch and let them play Fortnite. They're content no matter where they are as long as they're playing those games. That's, their, that's where they get their comfort and their peace right now. But you can't, I can't, me as a father, I cannot, I need to show them where the real peace and comfort comes from. It's okay to be bored, to think, to pray, to ask questions, just like these men ask questions. Ask God. And Jesus will answer. Verse 4, And where I go you know, and the way you know, so here he is. He's answering Peter's uh, question. Then Thomas goes, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Very radical, very straightforward, very stern, black and white. No one comes to the Father except through me. Opposite of what we're taught or what they're teaching kids nowadays in school. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. He says, I am the way. You know. In verse 7, it says, If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father. And it is sufficient for us. So here Jesus is speaking to him saying, if you know me, you know the Father. And then he says, wait, show us the Father, and then it's going to be enough for us. We do the same thing. Maybe we read the Word. Maybe we're listening right now. 
when we have these questions in our heads, ask questions. Ask questions. That's why we have people here that not only pray for you if you need it, if you, we all need prayer, but come if you need prayer. They will pray for you, but they'll answer questions. And if they don't know, they'll ask Pastor Tony because he knows all the questions. He knows the answers to all the questions. <laughs> and if he doesn't know, he'll look and he'll, he'll pray and he'll look for the, the answers. So we have to ask questions. That's how we get to know people, right? Think of when you first, you know, back in the day when you were dating. You ask all the questions to get to know the person, to qualify the person, of course, right? Yes, no, check the box. You ask questions, a bunch of questions, to get to know who the person is. Ask questions. Lord, what is heaven? What does it mean when, when the, word, the Bible says mansions? Does it mean that I'm going to get a mansion? <laughs> You know, a house that's 5,000 square feet? Is that, is that what it means? Is that what it means? With a pool? No, it doesn't mean that, right? It means a dwelling place, a place for you to be with him in his house, in his dwelling place, to be with God. And remember, God is perfect. He's holy. Holy meaning set apart. So if you're with God, there is no worry. There is no pain. There is no suffering. It's not like it is here. We desperately want heaven here in this life. But that goes contrary to what Jesus is telling us. Do we really trust? I mean, sometimes I'll think, like, man, really, there's a heaven? It's okay. It's okay to question. It's okay to to wrestle with that. If you read the Bible, you'll learn that everyone who followed Christ had obstacles. Even Job wrestled with God. He thought differently about God, and he was rebuked towards the end. God says, wait, that's not who I am. This is who I am. You seek, and you will find the answers. Jesus replied to Philip in verse, verse 9, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am the Father, I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So, God's not a genie. It's not, you don't just ask for a Maserati and you get it. It says, specifically says, whatever you ask in my name, and the second part, so that the Father is glorified. Whatever, whatever you ask that glorifies the Father, in Jesus' name, and it, in Jesus' name doesn't mean I'm going to ask something, and then at the end I say, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name means the inference is that you're speaking in place of Jesus. So you're speaking in place of Jesus. So as if Jesus was asking the Father, like he did when he prayed, that the Father be glorified, that he will do. Verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. 
And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, but it neither sees, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. He's reassuring them, yes, I'm leaving. Physically, I'm leaving, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying that the Father, the Holy Spirit, and him are one, one God. It's called a paradox, right? Something that doesn't seem like it makes sense, but it it does make sense. Three persons, one God, right? Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit. He says, I'm leaving, but the Spirit will be in you. He will dwell in you. So he's not leaving you orphans. We lose people in this world. We come and we go, everyone has to go, right? We have to leave this place. But God doesn't leave you orphans. You're never alone. It doesn't matter who you are and what your background is. If you have 30 cousins or if you have no cousins. If you know, if you know your parents or if you don't know your parents. If you never met your parents or you lost your parents or you have your parents. You're never going to be left alone. Jesus says, you believe in him. You trust him. He's in you. He's living in you and dwelling in you. A little while longer, verse 19, and the world will see me no more physically, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. So here Jesus is dying, but he's saying that you, he's going to live, right? So there's, he's dying, but then he's living. He's leaving, but yet he's staying. So these things, they seem confusing, but that's because we don't know we're not, list, we're not trusting the words. We're not really knowing who he is. He's answering it. He's leaving physically, but he, God, is still here. The Holy Spirit. We see that in, in the book of Acts. We see historically when that took place. We have to trust that. If not, we worry. We don't believe. Where are we going? Verse 20, at that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. There's that relationship. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. He who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. We are tricked and we're so romantic when it comes to this word love. We think of a specific feeling. We correlate love with a specific feeling. But here we see that the biblical love is based upon actions, right? God loved us first. He displayed his love to us while we were yet sinners, still still sinners. He displayed his love by his sacrifice through Jesus. He paid the fine for our penalties, It's an action. It's based on a commitment. You know, do, do you love God? Do you keep his commandments? But again, it goes back to the first thing. It, it's a heart issue, right? So if I'm not believing, if I'm not trusting in God, I have anxiety, I have worry, I have stress. I'm focusing all these other things. How, can, how is that showing that I'm trusting God? How can I love God if I don't trust him? How can I do the things that he wants me to do? How can he dwell in me if I don't trust him, if I don't have faith in him? And that's where the dilemma is. 
That's where our concern is. So with all the things that I that I share and this, uh, with you guys in regards to mental health, these things, as much as this, I mean, this message is it's a beautiful message. It gives us the cure. But what do we do with it? This is what's happening. We leave this sanctuary. We say hi and we say bye to people. We, uh, we give them hugs and we go on with our days. Our world is being impacted. Our society, our country, our community is being impacted by anxiety and stress. So pray. If you're dealing with that, trust God. If you're dealing with pressure, if you're in junior high and high school and you're dealing with pressure, you're trying to be something. And you know what the, the trouble is? The problem is that we compare ourselves to each other, right? To other people. And that's, that's bad. We look at people and we say, oh, I'm better than them. Or, oh, I'm not as good as them. We should always be comparing ourselves to Jesus. And we see, we, it's like looking in the mirror. Man, I've fallen short. I've disrespected Jesus. Look at the Ten Commandments, the last one, the tenth one. Thou shalt not covet. I don't covet. Do, I mean, do you? Do I covet? Am I happy with what God has given me? I mean, he, he knows our hearts, right? We use that to defend our, ourselves, but we should use it too. To see us in our true light, in, in the light. Am I really happy with what God has given me? Am I seeking for something more? God, thank you, but if I could just have this job instead of this one, then I could throw my hands up in worship. Or if, uh, you know, if I had the house, or if my health was intact, then I would, I would do more for you. Or if you just get this person off my back at school or at work, or if you just help me pass this test or get through this course, that'd be awesome. Our hearts, let your heart not be troubled. You believe in God. You trust God. Trust also in me. Trust in the things that, that he has spoken to us. These are, these can be words from a good message, or these can be words from the living God. It's your heart. You can hear it over and over again. You can read it over and over again. You can hear it. You know, I'm not the most charismatic speaker. I know that. But I just, I prayed really hard and, and a lot that, that we would all see the word for what it is and to see our community and to see the children and to see our spouses and to see our friends and our family members co-workers if someone's doing you harm mistreating you pray for them but don't pray for them if your heart is not believing and trusting in God first pray for yourself first Lord do a work in my heart I don't trust you right now. Be honest with him. That's what he wants. Ask him questions. Father, Lord, why am I not trusting you at this moment? Why am I stressed out about this? 
Why am I having a panic attack? Why am I depressed? I mean, the majority of these cases, people don't even know why they're depressed. And it's like the doctors tell them that it's a chemical imbalance. But what's causing the chemical imbalance, right? Ask questions. Why? What's causing the chemical imbalance? Is it biological? Is it genetic? It just happens. People just randomly are diagnosed with anxiety and depression. They get put on pills. But go to the source. Go to God. Trust God. Do you trust God? Do you really believe that Jesus came and lived a perfect life? Or are you like I once was and I need evidence? If that's you, if you need evidence, I would... I've <laughs> Just look at the Bible. See what the Bible is. We can go over and over and talk about science and and talk about uh, all these different arguments for the existence of God, but just look at the Bible. Who wrote the Bible? Ask questions. You know, I challenge you guys, if you guys have a social media account, I challenge you to disable it for a week or two weeks. I challenge you to call to action, right? So for those of you who have taken any kind of Bible courses, if you get a course in, uh, if you're taking a class in preaching, they say we're, there's a call to action towards the end of the message. Call to action. If you have social media, I challenge you to disable it for a week and study what the Bible is. Personally, spend time with God. What is the Bible? Who wrote the Bible? How many authors? When was it written? When was it completed? Do we know if it's been changed? Those are real questions. God will answer that. And you read the Bible. Read the Bible. And then the next challenge would be when you do that, read the Gospel of John from the beginning to the end. It honestly doesn't take a long time. You can do it in one day. Read it from the beginning to the end. Get to know who Jesus is. John wrote this Gospel specifically to let people know who Jesus is, who he was, who he is. And it's here for us. We have it. It's from his perspective. He was the youngest disciple, and he calls himself, he, he says that he was the closest to Jesus. So when they would eat back then, they wouldn't have tables like we have tables. They wouldn't have chairs. They would actually have tables close to the ground, and they would all lay next to each other. And that's why they would wash their feet. They would wash their feet so the next person, the person next to them, wouldn't be sitting next to, or eating next to smelly feet. So John, John the apostle, the disciple back then, he was always close to Jesus' bosom, his chest, right? So he would be that, that guy that was sitting right next to him. Not to his feet, but next to him. So he had, he had a, a specific relationship with Jesus, and he wrote this. And I, I believe that God knows, he knew what he was doing when this was completed. To let people know who Jesus was. So many heresies back then, and we can go on and on and talking about those things. But the Mormons, if you've ever talked to the Mormon, spoken to a Mormon believer, a person that goes to the LDS church, is a part of it. They believe that you can become like God. That God, his name is Yahweh, that he was human just like you. Oh, and if you're a female, you automatically go to heaven. But there's three heavens. 
And if you're female, you are only made to reproduce spiritual babies in heaven. They don't, they don't, they don't teach that right away, though. They get, you, they get people in with Jesus, with God, right? Heavenly Father, they refer him to as Heavenly Father. But eventually, you, go, you move up in the ranks. They, get, they're really, um, uh, they really copy a lot of stuff from uh, the Masons, right? They have secret signals with their hands. And they have beautiful temples. In Salt Lake City, there's a beautiful, huge temple. It's so nice looking. But the stuff that goes on in there, it's, it's secret. And you have to uh, move up in the ranks and you get to know what the what the real theology of the LDS church is, and it's pretty creepy. It teaches you that you can become like God, that you can have your own um, galaxy, basically. Or how about the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Watchtower and uh, Track Society? I mean, they look like they're hardcore, right? That they're, they're devoted to God. They dress the women dress conservatively, modestly. They have manners. They'll love on you. Um, they're very strict. If you're at the, at the age of 12 years old, they teach you how to speak in public. They know their stuff. But they teach that Jesus was a created being. And that's actually... So the Gnostics were a group of it's a very broad term, but it was a group of people in Ephesus at the time. They, they were called the Christian Gnostics, right? So they had Eastern philosophies mixed with Christianity, and they were called the Christian Gnostics. And they were going around saying that Jesus was a, a man, and that when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit, the dove, came across, uh, above Jesus. And at that moment, he had uh, the Holy Spirit with him, but it was still separate from Jesus. So when Jesus died, he didn't suffer physically. I mean, he suffered physically, but not spiritually. They taught that, and it was going around. And, and John's like, no, I knew Jesus. I was there with him. He was God. He suffered. He literally suffered. I saw him. And keep that in mind, by the way, that when Jesus knew he was going to die, 24 hours he was going to die when he was having this dialogue with the disciples. And he was comforting the disciples. He, he knew what was going. He trusted the Father. He is the living example. So we live this life here on earth. We know we're going to go. But we trust that God has a, a place for us to be with him. You trust and God will use you. So when people are having anxiety, your coworkers, or they're depressed, you can share the gospel with them. Because you're living it. You're actually believing that God sent Jesus to live a perfect life, never made an offense, to die so that he can resurrect, so that we can have an opportunity to be with God. That's the gospel, right? But how can we share the gospel if we're not living it? We're not, we don't have a living faith. It's easy to be uh, distracted and to be influenced by so many different things top five reasons why people stress and worry according to the American Psychological Association money, work, the economy family responsibility and relationships 
Suicide reported by the CDC for males, it increased 26% from 1999 to 2017. And for women, it increased 53%. Overall, an increase of 33% in suicide. Anxiety, depression, stress, this stuff is real. It's abundant. These men who lived alongside Jesus, who spent time with him, who ate with him, who had a conversation with the the physical Jesus, they didn't trust. And that's why their hearts were troubled. But Jesus had a cure. He said, trust me. And we needed to trust him. We need to trust him. So tonight, we'll pray right now. If there's anyone that needs prayer, that needs to come up because they haven't trusted God, I encourage you. The worship team is going to come out. They're going to lead us into a song. Have time with the Lord. Right now, all of this is a, a room where our phones are put on silent or they're off. Spend time with the Lord. And if you haven't trusted God, if you haven't put your, your trust in who he is and what he's done, pray right now. We're all in the same boat. We've all offended God. Every single person here. We can go down to Ten Commandments. But we don't need to do that. We've all lied before. We've all spoken a lie. We've all looked at, maybe some of us haven't, but most of us have looked at someone else with lust. And Jesus says, if you've done that, you committed adultery in your heart. That's the Seventh Commandment. We've all hated someone in our hearts. Jesus says, if you've done that, you've committed murder in your hearts. Right? So we've all, maybe you've taken something before. Or covetousness, the tenth one. Maybe you're not satisfied with what you have right now. And it doesn't have to be materialistic things. It could be relational. You're not satisfied with your relationship with your spouse. But you're, if you're married and you're not satisfied with your spouse, God didn't, didn't call you to marry that person to be satisfied phys- uh, relationally. He called you to be loyal and committed to that person. And that's what love is. It's an action. You do it. You choose to do it in obedience to him. So as we pray, as we take this moment to pray, I would encourage you, if you haven't put, uh, you haven't honestly looked at yourself and confessed to the Lord that you've offended him and that you trust that what he did in fact happened and that there is a place for you with him in heaven, I encourage you to come up here and I'll pray with you. I'll pray with you or next to you. Take this moment just to, to give your cares and your anxieties and your, if you're stressed about something, give it to God right now. Take this moment, just you and him. And listen to his, his prescription, the cure. It's to trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this lesson. Lord, I pray that you would allow this word and, and this study to cut our hearts deep. That we know, that we would know that you are living this very moment. That we trust that when Jesus said that he will send a helper, that his helper is here. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who's antsy about coming up or hesitant, I pray that they wouldn't be. I pray that you would, you would touch them, Lord. That they would be 
that they would put their trust in you. That today would be the day here, right now in Covina, that we would put our trust in you. This would be a day that we remember that we really did that we really did trust you and get to know who you were today. So Father, I just pray right now as uh, the song is being played, I pray that we would take this time to speak to you, to meditate on holy things, to not worry about things that are temporal, that are material. That if there's someone in our hearts that we have bitterness towards, I pray that we would let it go knowing that we trust what your word says, that whatever a man sows, he will also reap. God is not mocked. Father, uh, just have your way with us right now.